The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. It's always so funny to me to hear Elizabeth Heaton twice in the introduction. When That's clearly not me. Uh, welcome to another edition of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host today, Ian Fisher. I'm filling in for Elizabeth Heaton, the regular host. Uh, she's actually going to be back next week. Um, it feels like it's been a lifetime since I hosted this show last Thursday afternoon. But, um, you know, students are still applying to college and they're still looking to explore educational opportunity. They're still looking to shape their lives the best way they can. We want to be able to help them do that. So on today's show, we're going to talk all about the pros and cons of applying for financial aid. Uh, while it may seem like there are only advantages to applying for aid, we'll talk. Uh, we'll bring on an expert to talk a little bit about the reasons some families just don't do it. Um, but first, we want to look out west at California and uh, the University of California system, which serves nearly a quarter of a million students each year uh, and many more applicants who are aiming for those slots. For our Schools in Application Workshop this week, I'd like to welcome two guests, uh, Becky Leikling and Steve Brennan, to talk all about the essay requirement for the UC application. Welcome, you two. Hey, Thank Ian. You. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to have you both on the show, and um, each of the three of us uh, has worked um, in our Palo Alto office in California, and we've worked with a lot of students on the UC application, but this year, things are a little bit different with the UC essay requirement. Um, Becky, do you want to just give us a, a brief overview of, of what the personal insight questions are this year? Uh, yeah, Sure. Uh, so this year, for the first time, students get to write four short essays uh, in contrast to last year and previous years where they were writing two uh, more traditionally full-length essays. Um, and there's eight prompts. Students get to pick among those eight which four they want to write. Um, and the, the UC campus doesn't care what you write. There's not you know, a, a particular prompt for engineers or a particular prompt for pre-med kids. It's just which of these four prompts or which of these eight prompts can best speak to your truth. Um, and I really love the change because there's a lot more freedom for kids and a lot um, quicker writing to be done. Yeah, and, and the, the limit on each essay is 350 words, um, whereas in the past it was 1,000 words that was allocated over two different essays. Um, and you and I have had some conversations about what we really like about this change. Um, are, are we seeing differences in terms of how students are kind of approaching this task or how either of you are advising students as they begin to tackle this essay assignment? Um, so I, I very much encourage my students not to look at this list of eight questions and start answering them, but rather to think about, okay, I get to tell four stories 
Um, in the book of my life, I get to pick four chapters that fit together to paint a picture of who I am, uh, and I'm comfortable with colleges using these four things to, to learn a lot about me. Um, and so before they even look at those eight prompts, I, I have my students brainstorm, what are the things you need to share? What do they need to understand about you to know the type of adults and community member that you're going to be on a college campus? And I really think these shorter prompts um, invite students to be more um, reflective and specific with what that contribution is going to be. Um, in contrast to last year where I think you know, 650 words can be a lot of space to talk mm-hmm. about one thing in 350 mm-hmm. words spread out over four essays, you get to just say, here's me, now moving on. Yeah, I totally agree. Brennan, have you been sort of um, tackling this in the same kind of way with your students this year? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I had one student who literally was nearly in tears as she was looking at the UC essay. She said, you know, I'm a stylistic writer. 350 words is not going to give me enough room yeah. to, to really show how good of a writer I am. And, and, and she was really upset. She is an outlier. Most of, most of the students with whom it's, it's my privilege to work have been really excited about this change, excited about these essays. And like the fact, as Becky says, you know, hey, I get to tell four different stories. I get to give you a more complete sense of who I am, of what I can bring, of what my core values are. And the way the UC approaches essays, they don't like to call them essays. I was at a recent workshop for counselors and families where the, one of the representatives from an admission office at the UC said, these aren't essays, these are questions. Don't think about it like an essay. Think about it like a question. And just tell me. Don't give me an introduction. Don't give me a conclusion. Don't give me a long wind-up. Don't use academic writing. Tell me, like you're telling your favorite aunt or uncle. Tell me like you're, you know, talking, obviously not texting, you know, capitalize I. <laughs> sure. uh, but, but you can use contractions. You can use your voice. It should sound like you, and you should think about what stories you want to tell, not in an essay format, but in a question format, answer the question. And I think many students really appreciate that. Yeah, and I think I would really like to underscore that point because I think A lot of students and parents, they look at instructions that are given to them from admission offices, uh, whether they're visiting or they're reading on the website, and they sort of wonder if that's the whole truth. You know, are they saying something here that they're, you know, they're keeping from me? Is there is there like a trick question that's being asked? And I think that everything that the three of us have seen in terms of communication from the University of California system and what they put on their website is that you can take them at their word, that these are the things that they're looking for um, and that you can sort of tell your story in a way that serves you. And I think that that's, that's really, really useful. Um, there's also a sense in which, you know, we sort of hem and haw um, when we talk about the college essay about word choice and conventions and, you know, just making sure that it reads really well. Um, is that a concern that students should be having as they're, they're editing these essays and, or questions and, and sending them out to the UCs? I, I think, yes, but how about that, Ian? Um, That's perfect. And, and yeah. Okay, build on <laughs> I that. think that, of course, you want the student to feel proud of her work. You want her to feel that she's submitting the best uh, essay, best application, best answer that she can. But at the same time, I, I don't want her sweating blood over the commas and word choices. I think that, you know, the, last year, UCLA got 97,115 applications. That's a lot, right? So right. thinking about, okay, how are these viewed? They care about the quality of writing, but that's not the main emphasis. The quality of the writing is, is secondary to 
answering the question, telling your story, showing your core values, showing who you are and how you become who you are through one of the eight prompts that they give you is absolutely primary. And sort of the wordsmithing and the, and the, and the line editing, et cetera, is important. You want to submit your best work, but it is less of an emphasis for the UC process. Right. And, and there's a difference in the UCs in terms of positive versus negative content coming out and, and how they actually account for that. Right, Becky? I mean, there's they're sort of looking for pluses and minuses in different ways than maybe you or I did when we were reading applications for, for Tufts and Reed, respectively. Yeah, they're, they're looking for reasons to like you. They're looking for reasons to say, this is a kid who's going to contribute positively to our campus. And so if your essay just comes across as flat or you forgot your commas or there's something negative there, that's not going to make it into the reader card. They're not looking for ways to ding you at all. They're only trying to build a positive case, um, which I think isn't necessarily true in a smaller school. You know, when we worked in private liberal arts colleges, there was a... Um, a, a much more kind of all-encompassing uh, approach to that. But here they're trying to find ways to say yes to this kid. What's the positive we can celebrate? Um, and I think to, to Brendan's point, the, the language can help make it easy to read your story. You know, if there's appropriate punctuation and you use your words intentionally to build to a message, it's easier for me to hear that as the reader. But the absence of that is not a negative. Right, right. It, we're not sort of saying, okay, you can just sort of write a series of bullet points that are under 350 words that respond to the question. Uh, we're still looking for something that, that has an arc and tells a little bit of a story and, and puts all of those pieces together. Uh, but it's not necessarily, you shouldn't be wringing your hands over making sure you've got a grabby introductory paragraph and a nice, you know, snappy conclusion, uh, but really thinking about what that positive content is and what the message is that you're conveying to to the readers. Um, how does the UC application assignment, this writing assignment, fit into the process of your students applying to a variety of different colleges? You know, the, from the ones that have the common application personal statement to those that have smaller essay supplements. Um, in what ways can students work smart with respect to the University of California application? Um, with my students this year, I encouraged them to start with these four essays because I think the process of brainstorming responses to these different prompts was really helpful to figure out what it is you want to say, what it is you can say. And after writing four really different stories, it's a little bit easier to say, you know what, this one felt really easy to tell or this one feels really important to me to share. And so moving into Common App or University of Washington or you know, wherever else you're applying, um, it's a little bit easier to approach those other essays if you've got this baseline of, well, these are a lot of really great ideas that I've already fleshed out. Yeah, definitely. I, I, think that's, I think that's been the case. You know, if we were having this conversation in August, Ian, I would say that, you know, my, my standard advice of writing down all the prompts for all the colleges to which you're applying and then seeing, hey, where's their overlap? Where can I economize and use one essay for multiple schools, et cetera, might, might be... You know, uh, I would I would think that would be a good approach, but you know, it's November tenth, so being realistic, <laughs> a lot of folks have already started their Common App or maybe applied to a couple early schools, or if not, they're a little stressed, feeling under the gun. I think the UC essays are a great place to start because exactly what Becky said gets you warmed up for different stories. Hey, which one of these do I really feel like I have traction with? Which one of these do I really feel like? I can say significant things about myself. Which one of these was the most fun to write? Which one of these do I have 300 more words to say or 200 more words to say? 
um, and uh, elaborate on, and that can that can really be helpful for getting a student uh, ready to go for the others if, in fact, they are maybe a little bit of a late starter. I know with teenagers that never happens, but just in case. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. Yeah, I think uh, in the past, I was always of the mind that let's start with the personal statement for the Common App, and then that becomes one of your UC essays. But you can't do that anymore because you're writing at least 500 words for your Common App personal statement, and that, and that's you know it's 150 words less to fit into this this UC essay requirement. And, you know, I've had students that have worked on both sides of this. I've had those that their priority has been the UCs, and we started with them much earlier on um, and did exactly sort of what Becky's describing. But I've also worked with some students where their priorities were other schools that they wanted to apply early, and now they're coming back around to the UC essays. And it's very interesting to see how they're able to sort of identify content they've already written that falls really nicely into the prompts that are being put forth here by by the UCs. Um, I'm interested in some of your general tips, both of you, around how you help students to make an essay that they've already finished fit something that's slightly different. What are things that they need to be cautious of? How do they make sure that you know the essay fits what that school's asking and not exclusively um, the, the question that it was originally intended for? Yeah, it's... Oh. it's uh... oh, go ahead, Brennan. It's, it's tricky, right, um, which is not at all helpful. I always make them cut and paste, <laughs> copy and paste the prompts at the top of the document to make sure they're very, very clear about the question they're answering. And mm-hmm. I ask them to identify what's the takeaway. I don't need to learn about soccer. I need to learn about you. I don't need to learn about robotics. I need to learn about you, right? So what did you get out of whatever it is that you're writing about? What is the core value? What is the... Uh, story that you want the admission officer to hear about you, and then how do we tell that in either 350 words, if we're going from a common app main essay or, or another longer essay to the UC, or how do we expand this story and show probably what's going to come out if we expand it from UC to the other is more of the so what, so how have I applied this, so what have I gained from this? So I, I, I talk about um, X, whatever it is, in the UC, over overcoming an educational challenge, for example, or how I'm creative, or how I'm a leader. Okay, how is that redounded in other parts of your life? How have you been creative in other parts of your life, and how has that enriched you? How has your creativity made you a better person, a more thoughtful person, a more engaged person, or how have you leveraged that creativity, if that's your theme, into making your community better, your school better, um, your family better? How have you leveraged that? So that's usually... The way, the place where the extra words can really have an impact if you're going from a shorter to a longer. Um, Mm. The other way can be tricky. You have to think about, you know, making sure you're not cutting away too much, too much uh, good stuff along with the fat, right? So um, it's, it's, uh, it depends on which way you're going, but but those are some things I keep in mind. Cool. Becky? Uh, I, I agree. It's a lot harder to shorten something. And I say that you think you did really well and it tells your full story and now you got to cut 200 words. That's, that's really hard. I, as you know, Ian, I am verbose and long-winded in my writing. And so that's, I would not know how to help a kid do that. Um, one trick that I, again, as a long-winded writer, find really useful, especially for kids who have already written that longer piece, is now that you know exactly what it is you need to say, you know the scope of it, you know the narrative arc, you know the takeaway, totally start from scratch and tell that story again into your smartphone and record yourself 
you know, looking in the mirror and telling the story of your essay. Because I assure you, you're going to tell it more quickly than you wrote it out when you were trying to be really intentional and pick the right words. And the shortened version that you record in your phone is the version you should transcribe for your UCSA. And I cannot do this myself because I'm the only person in Silicon Valley without a smartphone, but all of my kids <laughs> have smartphones, and so that hasn't been a challenge for any of them yet. I I really like that. I think that's a the, that. the idea of sort of stepping away and thinking about it differently, just what sort of what the bones are um, when you get away from the words themselves. Because I've seen my kids have had some real struggles um, keeping the right stuff in as they've tried to make those cuts, and it just looks like a totally different essay. It's like it's got you know 350 of the original 600 words, but together they don't seem to make the same point that was made on right. that on that fuller level. Um, and I, I think that's, that's really, that's really cool. Um, any other thoughts about how you might um, just in general connect other assignments, uh, you know, for, for other schools to the UCs uh, before we go away to a break? I, I, I like that too. You know, with the cutting, um, I don't know. I don't mind that as much, but it, I love Becky. I love that approach. And there's only so many words you can gain by making them, by encouraging students to use contractions, right? Um, that's going right. to save you a few words, but maybe 10 at the most. Um, I think tone can help in remembering that, again, the UC reads essays, reads these answers. I keep coming back to saying the word essay just out of habit, but reads these answers a little bit differently and, and that the tone doesn't need to be as... Uh, perhaps as, as formal, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have been formal anyway, but, but can be a little more conversational. I think that will give you some economy of words. Right, right. So and losing some of the... Identify that, that core value, that main point, that's, that can really help a lot. I'm sorry, Ian, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, just, just losing some of the, the adjectives and adverbs and those kinds of things that might modify the, the basic framework of what you're saying can also be really, really helpful. Um, yeah, I just used two adverbs there, really, really. Um, you don't necessarily <laughs> need those things in there as you're making this cut to the, uh, the original word count. Um, any other parting thoughts before we uh, – we're going to go to a break. You guys are still going to be around when we come back, and I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the specific – essay questions themselves and how they fit into the overall review process. But anything else that we want to say about this uh, trimming of the fat? Muscular English prose. My, my young male students in particular like, seem, to, seem to like that. Muscular direct English prose. Subject nice. verb object. Get in there. Tell me what you're going to tell me. If I have to ask you where the subject is, you need to rewrite the sentence. You're, you're getting off the beaten track. Dependent clauses have a place, but maybe the UC personal insight questions, isn't it? So just as, as direct as possible. Cool. That sounds great. Let's leave it there. This is all good stuff. We're going to take a break and come back with more on the UC essays. Don't go anywhere. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the program if you're listening to the show today, you probably know a little bit about College Coach already, but even if you're a regular listener, you may not know about some of the ways you can connect with us online, although I do say it every week, so uh, hopefully you're internalizing these URLs. Uh, we keep a phenomenal blog at blog.getintocollege.com and maintain a really terrific and helpful Facebook page at facebook.com slash college coach. So subscribing to our blog or giving us a like on Facebook is a great way to stay connected to the admissions and financial aid process, whether you're a student, a senior, or just starting high school. All right, let's get back to the UCs. Becky and Steve, are you guys still there? Yep. Wonderful. Great. So I want to talk a little bit about the prompts themselves. And I think... There are two things I want to do before we get right into the questions. The first is to think about this concept of what the UCs call a comprehensive review. Um, And Becky, do you want to say a little bit about what the comprehensive review is and where students can find it, what it means? Okay. Um, So the UCs are very clear about what they consider in the application process. There are 14 different factors. Um, and if you want to read along with me at home, you can use your favorite search engine and just look for 14 factors you see admission. Uh, and there's a bunch that are you know, very cut and dry academic factors like your grades and your test scores and the number of honors courses you're, you're taking or you've taken. But then there's also things like um, achievements in special projects or special talents, achievements and awards or even academic accomplishment in life, in light of life experiences, which are a little bit more subjective um, and the sort of content that they can only get from the essays. Um, so that's where you know, they, they see your data, they see your test scores, they see the major you checked the box for, and now they want to know about all that other stuff that's not reduced to a number that still really has an impact on the way you engage in your school and learning communities. Um, and Perfect. that's where the essays come in. Right. And so, and you were mentioning at the, the front end of, of the first segment that it's great to sort of sit down and think about what are the stories that you want to tell before you actually go and look at the questions themselves. And if you're struggling with that, then you can go to 
the 14 factors for review and actually look at how they describe what it is that they're looking for from the more qualitative aspects of the application. And that can give you a, a nudge in the right direction in terms of how you might might choose these, these prompts. Um, all right, I know the answer that you guys are going to give, but I'm going to try it anyway. Uh, what are the best prompts um, to answer here? Which ones do you point students towards? One, four, six, and eight. No, That's the secret, um, right? <laughs> of, of, of course, there are no. Of course, there are no best or preferred prompts. The representative from the UCs that that were good enough to speak with us a couple weeks ago made that very, very clear. They don't have a preference. They don't have a favorite. They want you to pick the ones that the best prompts are. The four best that are going to show who you are and how you're going to contribute to the UC and and tell your story. So, um, and I, it's funny to me, Ian and Becky. Maybe you've had this experience too. I've had so many students ask me, and I'll tell them that. And they'll say, yeah, but which ones, which ones do they want? And I'm saying, seriously, you guys, they really don't have a preference. Okay, but what's their favorite? Yeah. So truly, truly, one of the things I love about the UC, and there's a lot that I love about the UC, uh, as a proud California taxpayer for numbers of years, I'm invested on a couple levels with the UC system. I think it's amazing, and they are very transparent. They would tell us. They would absolutely tell us, or they wouldn't offer it. So pick the four that you think are going to be the ones that are going to, to, to show what you want to show. That's the four best ones. All right. Now, um, but, uh, but, and I'll, uh, I'll add to that, too, that within each of these eight prompts, they give um, some you know, helpful text about what is this prompt asking? What are the ways you can consider your response? And I have to tell my kids so many times that those are not, um, those are not follow-up questions. You don't need to right. answer literally every one of those additional prompts in your initial response. It's just intended to get you thinking. Uh, and they ask so many different questions to get you thinking in a lot of different directions, whatever works for you. They really do not care at all which prompts you pick and how you interpret them. So that's all fair, and I'm not, I, I'm not arguing with that. But I, for me, I, I've seen a couple of these that students have not answered as frequently as others, or the ones that I've worked with so far this year. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you all are seeing that as well. I, I think that the, the thing that sets you apart from other candidates applying to the UC is kind of a hard one because it doesn't have um, any kind of guide or direction to go with. Um, well, and, in fairness, Ian, you asked what the UC, you know, what the preference was for the UC. You didn't ask what our preference was. Right? <laughs> right. Okay. So let's get so let's get to your preferences and mine too. I mean, I I think there are some that I like better than others here, and better than others for certain kinds of kids. Um, but but I'm interested in hearing whether you two also feel that way or have seen any patterns, uh, having gone through this process once. Yeah, and these are, just as a reminder for folks, these are new this year, right? So it's not like we have eight years of experience and nuance and reflection and thought. We've been working with these since, when did they come out? May? Um, April, somewhere in there. So, um, you know, I I think number eight is the, what is the one thing that sets you apart from other candidates applying to the University of California in case, unlike us, you don't have it memorized? Um, Number eight is tricky because it's asking you inherently and and. The rep from UC Admission directed, addressed this head on. She said, you know, you don't have to make assumptions about what the rest of the UC application pool looks like. We think that everyone has an opportunity to tell something unique about themselves, and that's what we're going for here. Well, okay, but right in the prompt, it says, what sets you apart from other candidates? So you're, to answer yeah. the prompt, you kind of have to make some assumptions about it. So I don't love number eight. I think number eight can be tricky to do. 
uh, of the students who have tried it, uh, and it's a sample size, right? It's a small sample size. It's only about, you know, what, 20 of these that I've read, maybe 30. Um, mm-hmm. I've read two good ones. I think it's just hard to mm-hmm. do, number eight. It's hard to say what sets you apart from others. And really don't even think about that part of the prompt. Um, think about what can I bring to the University of California, what makes me unique, and um, sort of approach it that way. Yeah, and I, th- I think anytime you start talking about others in your essay, whatever essay it is, when you start comparing yourself to other high school students or other prospective college students, you're first of all, you're, you're wasting words on people that are not you. Um, and second of all, you're making assumptions that that may not be accurate. And and so that I think is part of the dim, the um, the danger of that prompt as well is is assuming things about candidates to the UC and then putting yourself as potentially different um, from from those students. Any others I'm in here that you would... know how? Go ahead. I'm curious to know how, if at all, this prompt will the wording of this prompt might change because Brennan, I actually have the opposite experience to you. I think I've read some of the best essays in response to this prompt. But the kids that really get going on this pretty well are not really focused on the literal question, but rather the, the things to consider beneath it. Um, when looking at your life, what does a stranger need to understand in order to know you? Uh, and to me, that's kind of like a topic of your mm-hmm. choice. What do you need to share that hasn't been shared already that doesn't obviously fit into one of the other boxes? Um, and mm-hmm. so I've gotten some really interesting content from kids that maybe could have worked in another prompt, but to them it just felt more truthful and more natural to, to share it here without such specific guidelines. Um, so I, I agree that the, the, the language of the question itself doesn't quite seem to match the intent that the UC had when they asked it. That's really interesting. And I think it's, it's helpful that they do, because they include those things, you can take that as an indication that that, that stuff is important, not just the bolded question at the top, but the clarification down, down near the bottom. Um, mm-hmm. Any other questions here aside from number eight on, you know, what sets you apart? Are there any others that you think maybe students should steer away from or should only use in specific kinds of circumstances? Or are they all sort of available to everybody equally? Um, So I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on the second prompt, which is um, about your creative side and how you express it, in part because me and you and I often have kind of back and forth about essays with you as you know, a philosopher and really thinking on this higher level and me as the literalist being like, what's the point of this story? Um, and so I really like the supporting phrases of this question is, you know, how do you use this creativity to, to do or be or engage in a certain way? Um, but I think uh, sometimes for kids who latch onto that prompt, their immediate response is to write a very creative essay, which doesn't yeah. seem to me to be what the UCs are looking for. How do you guys respond to that? Well, I mean, I feel very, very similarly. Uh, well, I, I feel that it needs to be sort of an analytic response or a straightforward response to the question of creativity. That unless you're writing about the fact that creative writing is how you express yourself creatively, it doesn't need to be a creatively written piece. Um, and for me, I like, I think here actually the question has the most useful information and not the things to consider, uh, where it says um, that creativity is expressed in many ways, problem solving, original and innovative thinking, and artistically. I think whenever people see creativity, there's often this association with artistic creativity in a more traditional sense. But I've actually had a lot of my prospective engineers responding to this um, essay as a way of talking about the things that they love to do 
in terms of problem solving that are not associated with their academic coursework. And they're not creatively written pieces, but they do talk about how their mind works in a way that is different from the nuts and bolts of academic coursework. And that has been a really useful project for them. Very cool. That seems like a great response to that. That's interesting. Have you guys had any athletes respond to this? I had an athlete respond on how she shows creativity uh, through athletics, through her position as uh, libero, libero uh, in volleyball, and how that allows her to be creative on each volley. I thought it, and she did a really nice job with it, um, which I wouldn't have thought of, but, but I think that's another way to go. Have you guys had any athletes? I, I haven't had anybody respond to this, this prompt in that way. I think that's really I cool. I haven't though. had an athlete, but I had someone on student government kind of take a similar approach um, and writing an essay about like the, the communication and conversational patterns that they've developed to, to bridge gaps between people and kind of creatively build solutions, which I thought was also a really good way to, to tackle this one. Yeah, it it's almost feels like how does your brain work in unusual ways? Or what's something about like how you approach a challenge that's different? Um, like a volleyballer sees the court in a different way from a spectator who has less knowledge of of that um, of the game, and you know an engineer sees a task in robotics differently from somebody who's just watching them put pieces together. And so maybe there's a little bit of like how do you think about things on a different level and in a way that gets you really excited. Um, I love that. It, there are three very interesting examples that are like totally different kinds of kids um, <laughs> yeah. being successful with this prompt, uh, which I think reinforces that, hey, you know, you can you can do anything you want with with these prompts um, as long as you're sort of looking at the spirit of what's being asked. Um, other yeah, prompts that, totally that remember, like you tell the story that you need to tell and you can right. find a home for it in one of these eight prompts. Right. And, and the prompt can help you, I think, in directing it or sort of how you organize your thoughts, right? I could talk about robotics in a variety of different ways, but maybe the only way I can talk about how I solve problems in robotics is through prompt number two. And that gives me a clue as to how to, how to approach it. Um, because number three is what would you say is your greatest talent or skill? And how have you de- developed and demonstrated that talent over time? Which to me could, be, could also be volleyball, it could also be robotics, right? I mean, it's, yeah. but, but there's yeah. there's a difference. There's a difference there. Um, have you? Sorry, Ian. Go me, ahead. Uh, I just wonder: Have you guys had many students tackle this one? I have felt some reluctance because kids don't want to brag. Mm. They feel a little like, well, I could, but it makes me, you know, sound prideful or, or too boastful or haughty or whatever it might be. I can see that. I, I had a student take this on in a very sort of tongue-in-cheek kind of way, um, which was that his greatest talent was knowing the supermarket codes for various fruits and veggies by heart. Uh, he's, a checker, he's a checker that works as a cashier at a grocer. And so he says, you know, this is my skill. But he doesn't go on to just say, well, here are all the numbers. But he says, like, here's how I've developed like a sense of personal responsibility and have become more outgoing through this job. I'm, I'm a shy person, but like having to work with people and connect with customers and coworkers um, has been something I've really worked on. And so that was like sort of developing the talent over time. He always kept coming back to, you know, I know the bananas are 4011 or whatever, um, which was funny. Uh, 
but it was also a way for him to describe his job, which is really important to his story, in a way that doesn't necessarily fit any of the other prompts. I, I love that. And I, for the record, I've never been in that kid's line at the grocery store. Um, I'm going to look uh-huh. for him. <laughs> They're always looking it up. Um, yeah. But, and, and what I like about that, too, is it makes him likable. It makes him approachable and human and, and reminds you of the kid behind the, the story, right? Like, it, he is the story. And, and I, I love that approach. That's great. Yeah, it's a really good, it was a good one. Becky, have you had anybody tackle that one yet? Uh, I've had a couple kids fall into that. Um, I think, honestly, after some less successful efforts in other prompts, I'm thinking now of a dancer who was writing multiple drafts for the creative prompt about dancing and, and, and how that allowed her to be. And it kept, it was beautiful. Her writing was, was beautiful. And I can imagine her at, you know, age 90 in a wheelchair reading that essay and, and being transported back immediately. But it wasn't, I, I, like it was a, the thought piece less than a reflective piece about her growth and mm. her personality and her character through dance. And so mm. transitioning it into this kind of more, um, straightforward plane prompted her to swing that essay to focus on the nonprofit that she started um, for uh, physically disabled students in her school to have alternative dance options. Um, and it's a beautiful essay. It's, it's wonderful. And I read that and it, it, it reflects on her talent as a dancer, but it's also her talent as an organizer and someone who sees opportunity for inclusion um, and, and takes action on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I agree. I think a lot of kids shy away from it because of the, the bragging aspect, but I think if you think about it not as bragging about your talent, but, okay, showing what you've done because you have a talent, maybe that's a little bit of an easier way to think about it. Yeah, I like that. We, we've got about 90 seconds left, and I, I just wanted to see <laughs> if either of you have any thoughts about whether these four responses should be uh, totally siloed and be independent responses, or if there should be overlap of some kind, or if there's no clear answer to that question. Probably totally depends on the kid. I I think you want to make, it should sound like they're all coming from the same person so that together there's a a portrait that gets painted. But of course you don't Mm want to repeat yourself and you don't want to waste words saying something you've already said. Um, But whether that's for totally different topics or a few that overlap that touch on different parts of that same conversation, I think depends on your story and how how you tell it. Yeah, I agree. It really, it really depends on the kid. It's, it's kid-specific here. Um, I think you can use one thing for multiple answers, and, and it'd be really effective and show different parts of you. Um, I think number six can lend itself to that, your favorite subject and how that's affected you, impacted you, why you like it. Um, and, you know, you can use that for creativity. You can use that for leadership. So I think that, you know, that it depends on the student. It depends on the student and, and what she wants to tell. Perfect. That is, it's a great place to end because the question to just about every question in college admissions is it depends. So I want to thank you both for being on the show today uh, and uh, for your commitment to serving your communities as students really thoughtfully um, and for serving everybody else around you as well. I uh, hope you have a great day. Thanks Ian. Thanks, Happy Ian. Thursday. Pleasure. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will talk about financial aid and whether to fill out those forms. Don't go anywhere.
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back for the final segment of our show today. Uh, my last guest is a veteran of the Getting In program with more than a few guest appearances to her name. She was financial aid officer at Boston University and Tufts. We really have swung from west to east here today, and we're very glad to have her back. Any guesses? Who's here? Who's here? It's Shannon Vasconcelos. Thank you very much for being here, Shannon, on the show. You're very welcome. My pleasure to be here, as always. And, you know, I was actually very curious because I know you've been on the show a lot. And so I went back to our tracking document and I want to congratulate you on your 15th appearance today. On really? The, oh, that is guess, exciting. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, is that a perfectly round? something? Is, yeah, we're going to send you a little trinket in honor of your continued. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, it's going to come in the email. So I, you know, I'll find a Bitmoji or something to attach. Uh, Perfect. For you. Exactly what I needed. How did you know? <laughs> So um, we are getting into application submission season, but we're also definitely in crunch time, I think, you know, for parents who are thinking about submitting their applications for financial aid. And that's obviously a huge part of this process as well, because it's not just getting into college, but also paying for it. Um, exactly. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit just, first of all, about deadlines. So we'll talk whether you should apply for aid or not. That's the main thrust of what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. But you, to apply, you've got to do it by some point. And what are the the deadlines that people need to be aware of with respect to financial aid? Well, as you just mentioned at the end of the last segment, the the answer to (laughs) every question that we get asked here at College Coach is, it depends. Um, So there isn't any uh, universal deadline. Every college sets their own financial aid application deadline. Um, And this is actually kind of a unique year with the financial aid application that the big one, the FAFSA, as well as the CSS profile, um, they're both made available October 1st. This is the first time that has happened. Historically, they haven't been available, or the FAFSA hasn't been available till January 1st. So folks are able to apply for financial aid much earlier now. You can apply right now. If you're applying regular decision, 
to colleges, most of the deadlines, the schools haven't uh, moved them up much, actually. They're probably January, February, March time frame, so you still have plenty of time if you're applying regular decision to college. Um, some of the colleges, if you're applying early action or early decision, have an earlier financial aid application deadline. Um, could have been as early as November 1st. I think it's the earliest you would ever see. Um, most uh, that I have seen for early uh, early applications have been November 15th. So even if their admission deadline was November 1st, I've seen the financial aid deadline being uh, November 15th. So coming right up on us in a few days. Great. So about, yeah, about five days from now. And, and so there are still probably some parents out there who are still going through this sort of balancing act of whether or not to apply for financial aid. And, and I think that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like this is a question that's that's going to be asked, um, you know, by parents mostly who are thinking they might not qualify for aid um, or don't expect any kind of support. Um, is, is that true or are there reasons for people to sort of think about whether or not to apply for aid irrespective of what they might qualify for? Um, for the most part, I'm getting this question from families who think that they're not going to qualify. If you think you're going to qualify, uh, you know, in my opinion, you've got to apply. Um, you don't want to leave money on the table. So if, if there's any chance of you qualifying for financial aid, I would certainly fill out an application. So usually when I'm getting this question, it's from folks who do not believe that they will qualify for any financial aid. Gotcha. But, you know, you said people who think that they might not qualify, <laughs> but it's right. It's not always cut and dried in that way. Um, exactly. So, so let's talk about some of the reasons that you might apply for financial aid, um, regardless of, of what your family income is, what you think you might qualify for. What are some of those uh, reasons? Yeah. So first of all, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head where families think they, they won't qualify. Um, but you know, what I ask a family is, do you know for sure you're not going to qualify? Um, the only way to know 100% for sure is to um, to actually apply and see what happens. Um, but outside of that, if you don't want to go through um, that ex- somewhat extensive application process, there's a really good tool out there nowadays on every college's website called a net price calculator, where it's sort of an right. abbreviated financial aid application and you don't have to give them any identifying info, but you kind of plug in your income and assets and it will calculate for you what financial aid they expect you will receive from that particular school. So every school has their own calculator. It incorporates the school's awarding policies into the calculator. So that's how you'll really know whether or not you'll qualify for aid at the schools where your child is applying to. Sometimes people just assume, you know, I make over $100,000. I'm not going to qualify for aid. Um, But a whole lot depends on the schools you're applying to. If you're only applying to public schools, I'd probably agree with that statement. If you make over $100,000, you're not likely to qualify for need-based financial aid. If you're applying to private schools at $100,000 of income, you would likely qualify for lots of financial aid. So number one, you know, you really want to make sure... Um, that you're not going to, you want to be sure you're not going to qualify if you're considering not applying. Uh, otherwise, I would go ahead and apply if you're if you have any doubt at all. Um, another reason that you may want to apply, um, even if you're in fact not going to qualify for any need-based aid, is there are some government loans that you can tap into simply by filling out the FAFSA, the big financial aid application. Um, they are loans in the student's name. 
pretty low interest rate. Currently, they're at 3.76%. There's no credit check, no cosigner required. So if you want your child to take some responsibility, uh, borrowing a little bit in student loan money to have a little skin in the game and pay some of the, the uh, cover some of the bill themselves, um, yeah. you do have to fill out the FAFSA, uh, if only for that reason. Yeah. Um, Another reason that I, I advise families to think about if they're considering not applying for aid is to think about is their financial situation stable? Um, might things change over the course of this year or perhaps over the course of the next four years? You know, could you lose a job? Might you have another, um, like a younger child who will also be in college in a couple of years, so you'll have two in college? That, that can change the calculations quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. There are some colleges that won't consider uh, a request for reconsideration for aid down the line unless you applied initially, um, kind of by the deadline as an incoming freshman. There are some schools that are really strict about that. At other schools, it doesn't matter. You know, you lose a job six months down the line, you can apply then. Or you lose a job three years down the line, apply then, and, and everything's fine. But there are some schools that, that do enforce kind of a nasty policy that if you don't apply by their deadline as a freshman, you will never receive financial aid from the school. Um, so right. I sometimes tell families, Ugh, you might want to think about, you know, getting an application on file just in case something happens. Right. And you could, I mean, you could see some big differences over the next four years. I mean, just, just political changes, you know, you, mm-hmm. we don't know sort of what the impact sure. might be there. And so, you know, this, it's a good way to sort of hedge against anything that is unforeseen at this point. Um, and exactly. a really good, a really good reminder there. Yeah. Um, and what about, I, you know, I've often heard that you can't, some, some merit aid is attached to financial aid applications. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, why do colleges do that? Yeah, so it's a fairly rare policy. In most schools, you don't have to apply for financial aid, and they'll still consider you for merit scholarships. But there are a few schools that do have that policy where they'll only consider you for merit scholarships um, if you apply for financial aid. And there can be a few different reasons going into the school's thinking there. Um, at some schools, maybe they have some money that it's kind of combo funding. You know, you, it's merit and need-based. You have to be really smart and really poor, you know, you know um, to kind of put it bluntly. Um, that's why they require the FAFSA. At other schools, their merit scholarships are restricted to U.S. citizens. And when you fill out a FAFSA, they run a citizenship check. So it could be just for that simple reason. It's their way of verifying you're a U.S. citizen. Hmm. And the other... And a slightly more esoteric reason that I think some schools require a FAFSA for merit scholarship consideration is they they use their merit scholarship money as an enticement. That's what merit scholarship money is. It's a recruitment tool. They have a limited amount of merit scholarship money. They want to spend it on the kids for whom they think it will make a difference. By filling out a financial aid application, you have identified yourself as a price-conscious price consumer, essentially. Uh, that's kind of the, an indication to the school. The money makes a difference to you. So they're going to restrict their merit scholarships to only people for whom the money is going to make a difference. That, that's kind of the thinking behind it. If you don't apply for financial aid, the assumption is you're willing to pay full price. So they're not going to waste their merit scholarship money on you if you're going to just mm. enroll anyway without getting any scholarship. So they're going to restrict their, their scholarship money to, to folks who have sort of nominated themselves as, you know, the money makes a difference to me. 
Uh, I think that that's the thinking at a lot of schools. Again, it's a fairly rare policy. Most schools, you don't have to apply for financial aid. You'll still be considered for merit scholarships. But if you're thinking about not applying for financial aid, I would definitely double-check with the schools you're applying to. Uh, make sure it's not required for merit scholarship consideration because there are a few schools where it is. And I, I assume that that would be something that you would find on the financial aid website around around scholarships. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Whether it should be listed needed. on a school's okay. website. If it's not, um, you know, just give the, the admissions or financial aid office, I would say, a quick call and they would have that info. But yeah, it should be right on the website. Perfect. Great. So, so those are all great reasons to apply and, you know, uh, apply for financial aid. And, and it's always good to get extra funding for college. It's obviously a very expensive proposition, but mm-hmm. you, there may be some reasons not to apply as well. Um, yeah. So, so what, what might some of those reasons be? And, you know, maybe we can, maybe some parents will feel like, okay, I'm, I'm definitely not going to apply for aid because I didn't fit anything in those first few circumstances. And I feel sort of justified by yeah. reasons not to apply. So what, yep. are, what might those be? Yeah. So, Number one, simply takes time. Maybe you don't want to waste your time. Um, now, if it's simply kind of, uh, if you think that this is a long, arduous process, uh, I do want to uh, let you know that the, I don't think that's the case. Um, the FAFSA form, which is the only financial aid application required by most schools, takes, you know, I would say at most an hour to fill out. Probably if you've got all of your financial papers together, you know, half hour. It, it really doesn't take much time. But that's certainly an argument. You know, if you're not going to get anything out of it, why waste the time? Um, other folks are concerned about um, privacy, security issues, um, submitting, you know, putting all your finances out there, sending them into cyberspace, um, sending them to schools. Um, and if you're not going to get anything out of it, Eh, maybe you don't want your information out there to the world. Um, you know, as sort of a comfort to people, you know, I'm no technical security <laughs> expert at all. I don't know what kind of um, sort of technical measures are put into the FAFSA that protects your info, but I know that there are some there. And honestly, I have been working in college finance for 15 years now, and I literally have not once heard of, you know, somebody's information identity being stolen from a financial mm-hmm. aid application. You know, you hear about That's it good. every day from, you know, shopping at certain stores and your credit card information gets stolen. I honestly have never heard about it at all, um, which is actually amazing. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah, I have heard of no issues. So, again, it, you know, something to think about. And then what I think is the biggest issue and what most people bring up to me is their concern that a financial aid application will disadvantage their student in the admissions process, that they won't get into the school they want to go to um, because they applied for financial aid. Uh, I think that that's one factor that really holds a lot of people back from applying. Yeah, and that's something that occasionally we do sort of just a quick poll in the admission or in our internal process. uh, listserv about yeah. people who've worked at schools where that made a difference. And we've only got a, a, about 45 seconds left, but I will say that at Reed, we were very conscious of what students needed in terms of aid. And it wasn't mm-hmm. just that you applied for aid that mattered. Right. It was that you applied and then qualified. So not right. just applying was no different than not applying if you didn't qualify from our standpoint right. in terms of the admission decision. So you know, it, that may be different at different schools, but I think in general we find that you have to qualify for aid. Um, right, yeah, yeah. I think it is different at some schools. At some schools, it, just applying is enough <laughs> um, to, to hurt you, but, but I think that's rare. I think you're absolutely right that you have to actually apply and qualify. 
And still, I think you can speak from your experience. For most students in, in your applicant pool, it made no difference. Isn't that correct? It right. only came down to, a, you know, a few, relatively few students where it made a difference. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Well, Shannon, thank you for being here to talk to us about aid, and I'm glad I could contribute a little bit, and uh, (laughs) I want to appreciate the advice you've given uh, for parents and and students, and I hope they all found it as helpful as I did. Great. Thanks, Ian. All right. Uh, Folks, glad you could join us for our show today. For you seniors out there, keep up the good work. Only a few more weeks left of this process, and you can sit back and enjoy the rest of your senior year as decisions start to roll in. We'll be back again next week for another series in our application workshop and answers to your listener questions. Uh, you can submit those at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com, and we'll look at look for an opportunity to answer them at a future show. In the meantime, keep your head up. Look always for an opportunity to make a difference. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.